0: Let's pray. We're going to be in Matthew 13 again, and then in Isaiah 6. Lord, I thank you for a chance to come share your word tonight. Father, we thank you for a beautiful sunny day. We thank you for a nice, cool building to come in and just um, really center in and focus on you. I thank you for the sweet sound of worship and praise that went up here. I thank you for those Um, that have those giftings and how they are so willing to spend so much time practicing and coming here to bless us with that and lead us into that, Lord. So um, we just pray a blessing on them and, and those in the kids' wing and our high school leaders, the middle school staff over there, and just the excitement we see kids uniting together into the name of Jesus Christ is just a huge blessing. And I pray, Lord, that you would pour out into those ministries, Lord, just in abundance. We thank you for your word, and we pray that you would speak to us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so if you were with us on Sunday, I haven't been here in a long time on a Wednesday night. It's been years and years, so I feel, it's a, it's a little different for me. I'm not used to, it's either been high school or kids wing for like eight years. So it's really, it's different. I'm, it's good to be here. It's good to see you guys. It feels kind of like, more like an intimate Bible study. So we're gonna be in Matthew 13, Sunday. We looked at the parables there's like 60-something verses, and we focused in on just a couple of things on Sunday. And, and just to kind of give you a, a brief recap so you know what we looked at and what we're looking at tonight, we really kind of focused just on the parable of the sower, and we also talked about weeds and wheat. On Sunday, we talked about really the theme that Jesus shares throughout scriptures and throughout the, the parables even, there's, there's a bigger message There's a bigger thing that he's talking about. It's not just these parables, but he's saying, listen, I came to build a kingdom and I'm looking to use my people to build this kingdom. But I'm not using the kind of weapons that you're used to. I'm not using using might and I'm not using force and I'm not using explosions. I'm using eyes and ears and hearts and the mouths of people that are gonna speak and testify to the great things happening. I don't come by force. I'm actually bringing something way more powerful And it's the word of God, which has love that can move in places we have no idea that it can move. The words of the kingdom are are really the seeds. The world uses force and might to build kingdoms, but not Jesus. Because you see, boulders and dynamite and those things, they are coercive and they can break up ground and break up land. But really, that permanent change does not bring about any kind of life. If you think about... The word of God and Jesus using the illustration of a seed, a seed is such a small, it seems like such a small, just little innocent thing, but when you put it in the ground, it actually brings life. When you plant it in the right soil, when it's properly cared for, it brings life. And godly kingdoms bring life. The kingdoms of man bring death and it's a warning from Jesus. He's not just talking about sowers, he's not just talking about weeds and wheat, but he says, listen, my kingdom brings life. This is the kingdom that you want to be a part of. <clears throat> the message from heaven is a king came, was tortured and killed. That's not that's not how we view kingdoms being built. A king coming and being tortured and killed and then being told lose yourself to find yourself, give up power to get power. Serve, put yourself last. If you want to gain, really, you will give. Jesus came and spoke something completely radical. And so when he's talking in these parables, he's, he, he's not just straightforward. He's like, listen, you guys, you got to have ears to hear what I'm saying. Don't miss what I'm saying. My kingdom is coming, but you have to pay attention. It's like nothing you've seen before. I love that Jesus is so radical and thinks way beyond and way bigger than any of us could. It's a crazy mixed up message. So the kingdoms of the world will pass, but Jesus says, mine won't. The kingdom comes through hearing continually, sharing the good news, studying, meditating on his word. It's an ongoing process. And we use the the connection that Jesus uses is he talks a lot about farming and farming really is a process. There's tilling and planting and working and harvesting and drought and there's barren land. And then there's floods and rains and a bounty of a harvest. It is a process, and if you have been a Christian for any, any length of time, you know that your walk has been a process. We looked at Acts chapter 2, and we, we connected that, that process and really our testimony and our words and, our, and what we see in this world really being connected to the church, and we laid out on Sunday really how there's really kind of three things that we need to be equally a part of, and that was a close-knit group, like a home group talks about them doing things together in the home, but it also talks about them going to the temple together. And so you've got a picture of the church and you've got a picture of the home and both of those things being valuable. And then it talks about them having favor with all men and it talks about them taking the gospel to the world. And so, yeah, it's it's in small home groups and then, yeah, it's in the corporate setting here. And then, yeah, it's, we got to take this to the world. This is not something exclusive. Everybody has to hear this message because it is so great. So that's where we kind of went on Sunday, and I said we would look closer at some of the soil, and then we're going to look at this verse in Isaiah that Jesus talks about. So let's look at Matthew 13. We're going to look at verse 18 through uh, 23. This is Jesus' explanation. Instead of reading through the whole parable and then also reading the explanation, we're just going to read how Jesus explains it. I don't have to try to guess. He explains it for us. So, beginning in verse 18, hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. So Jesus gives us a picture of these three different types of soils, really, where we see that that aren't great, and then he gives us the last picture of the good soil. The first soil, the rocks and birds, really being a a picture of a hard heart, where when you come to hear the word of God, you're really coming and listening just intellectually, almost as if Jesus were just a philosopher. And there may be some sort of self-help in there that I can take that might help me with my kids or with my life, or it really, it really is kind of a picture of legalism or religion, like we tend to say, but really what it's lacking is this penetration of the heart. If you've never experienced that moment where, I don't know, for me personally, it's been like in a worship setting. I remember a few years ago, right, sitting right over here and it was dark and I think it was maybe Jason Patton or Chris Martinez and they're singing the words of the song and I'm just meditating on what it was and I just couldn't control it tears just hit the ground because I realized those words from Jesus were to me. And it changes you. It changes. There's been a few moments in my life where I've experienced that. It penetrates the heart and it gets deep inside there and that is what draws you closer to the Father. Not listening to these, taking a bunch, thank God for notes, that's great, but okay, one, two, three, four, okay, this is what we gotta do, this is the plan heaven knows how many different types of plans we've had in our house and how many different rules and how many different charts and how many different this and that and all well-intended. But really when it comes right down to it is where's the heart? Where is our heart? And that's what we have in number one. That Christianity isn't just some sort of self-help thing. That it is actually a personal, real relationship with our Savior. The second one is the shallow ground where the sun comes along and it starts off great, but the sun, once there's any kind of heat it just chokes and burns it out. Almost the opposite of the first group of people. Very emotional. Received the news with joy, with gladness. We've probably witnessed people like this. I've had the pleasure of at high school camps with James and Chad. A lot of these guys being able to baptize kids and you see lives change and stuff. But but there are times when you really really have a talk with with some of them because you feel like ah I you know I don't want to question what's going on in their life, but. I want to make sure that this is real for you because unfortunately and sadly we have seen some that get kind of caught up in the emotional aspect of it and it's really just this emotional high and then sadly when any kind of um, tribulation comes along, it, it, it just burns up and it doesn't take root. It's not there. What we find with this group of people, when troubles come and they lose important things, they begin to ask, What use is Jesus if I can't have the things that I want? That's really the question that ends up being asked. Trouble comes, life gets hard, things get changed. What good is this Jesus guy if I don't get to keep the things that I wanted to keep? Really what these people think is Jesus is entering into their kingdom. Jesus is entering into my kingdom. That's not how Jesus works. Jesus says, You come into my kingdom. Jesus really for these people is like a genie in a bottle or a service provider. And when the service runs out, the contract's over, relationship is done. They view themselves really as sufferers in need of a solution and not sinners in need of a savior. The third group, the thorns. This group, Jesus says, is choked out by the cares of the world. They have a crowded or divided heart. What's really interesting about this third group, the first couple groups, probably not Christians, hard to tell, don't really know, can't say for sure. This third, this third group probably is Christians. They probably are a lot of people that come to church. And what they're living is really, they're the only one out of these groups that is honestly constantly miserable. Because they know the truth, they have experienced Jesus, they have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, and yet the cares of the world keep choking that out. Their spiritual walk is stagnant. Year in and year out, they question, man, why am I not, why am I not drawing closer? Why, am I, why is this area of my life not going anywhere? Why am I not being used in his kingdom? They're constantly living what James talks about in chapter 1 is really being double-minded. There's a warning of the double-minded person really because they're trying to rely on themselves. So this third group, the thorns choking out the cares of the world, it seems like such a huge issue in the church today, but I have a hunch it's always been there. I have a feeling if Jesus was talking about it back then, it's probably something that has been around forever. In Psalm 8611, it says, Unite my heart to fear thy name. That's the answer for group three. So Jesus right before this, right in between him telling us the parable of the sower and him explaining the parable of the sower, he gives us the purpose of the parables. And that's where he talks about Isaiah. And I want to spend some time looking at that. So he tells us really why this is important. And we know that he's saying, I'm building my kingdom. I want you in it. It's not going to be like any kingdom you've been a part of because earthly kingdoms die. So let's look here at Matthew 13, verse 15. Jesus, right before this, says, Well, I guess it's the end of 14, beginning of 15. He says that the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. And he quotes, You will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive for this people's heart has grown dull and with their ears they can barely hear and their eyes they have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and i would heal them but blessed are your ear for your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear so jesus quotes isaiah let's turn to isaiah chapter 6 <clears throat> And see what's going on. Jesus mentions here when he talks about this verse from Isaiah. He talks about a hard heart. We see this hard heart brought up. We see hard heart. We see dull heart. I don't know about you guys, but I get bothered when I see that. I don't like to see that. Makes me feel uncomfortable. Makes me want to examine my heart. Makes me concerned for other people. I want to put a little bit of contextualization to this statement and then look a little bit closer at more what I believe Jesus is talking about. What is the deal with this hard heart? It is a different coldness, I think, than, than there's two distinctions I'd like to make, I guess. Sometimes in your Christian walk, you're, obe- you're obedient to God. You are serving with the right intentions. You are walking uprightly. You are seemingly doing the things he's called you to and you're still not feeling it. Anybody ever been there? Am I the, I'm the only one who's ever been there? Okay, that's fine. I'm good with that. Let's try it again. Anybody ever been there? That's what I thought. In a season where you're just, you're just cold to things, Shannon was with me on Sunday. I think you were the only one that raised your hand on Sunday. <laughs> a season where you're just cold A season where it's hard to find motivation, where you you feel like you got to put on the fake smile to come to church. you got to pray with the kids, but it's like, okay, Lord. And in your mind, you're like, okay, what am I praying about right now? Ever felt that? Just like, oh, man, I feel something. It feels a little bit off. Listen, I've been in that spot where you're just kind of questioning, and you're wondering, and maybe you, you wrestle with a little bit of doubt. St. John of the Cross refers to it in a book he wrote. Actually, it's a poem, but later on, it's named The Dark Night of the Soul. There's a name for it. That's called The Dark Night of the Soul. Richard Foster, in his book, The uh, Celebration of Disciplines, excellent book, excellent, excellent book, especially if you've been a Christian for any amount of time or you're a new believer, it's a great book. But he talks about the dark night of the soul. And it seems to be this inexplicable doubt or struggle of crisis of your faith where you are just like, man, what's going on? They say Mother Teresa was in and out of the the dark night of the soul for the last 50 years she lived her life. It's such a common and popular thing that Depeche Mode and Van Morrison sang about it apparently. I didn't know that, but I, I was curious. They, is, is this like a real thing, like for modern day? Yes, it really, really is. This is different. Jesus is not talking about the same thing. Ecclesiastes 7, King Solomon even warns about, doesn't warn about it, he actually talks about it. He says it's better to go to the house of mourning than the house of laughter, really. Solomon says, listen, those, those times, when those times come, it's good. Life's not a bunch of jokes, Hey, have fun. Laughter is a great thing. It is is a part of the joy of the Christian. But listen, there are times when you're not feeling it. Press into the Lord in those moments. Press into the Lord. He is trying to woo you and beckon you and call you. And on the other side of those moments, there has been some amazing fruit in my life. But I've experienced those days. And I push into him. Now listen. It's really easy to push away at that time. It's really easy to look to the world. It's really easy. Uh, I'm not feeling it, I'm cold I'm kinda of frustrated. A couple of weeks ago, something was going on, I don't know what it was. But I ended up frustrated about something. Fortunately, I was home by myself, and I'm not kidding. Actually, it was probably a couple months ago. I ate an entire box of apple jacks by myself. <laughs> I know that sounds kind of like, oh wow, whoa. I really did. I ate an entire box. I was turning to the world because I was like, this will make me feel better. Just shuffle in it. Let's get another one. Let's go. That's my thing. 20 years ago, it was probably something different, but that right now is my thing. It didn't didn't help. It really didn't help. But that's what happens. Kind of cold, kind of dark. Let's look to the world. The world's got all kinds of great things that they'd love to sell us that will turn things around for us. This is different. Jesus is not talking about that. What he's talking about in Isaiah 6 is a different kind of coldness. I have this buddy who uh, recently graduated from seminary, and him and I, every now and then, like to nerd out on some different things, and we had this awesome conversation recently about this, so you'll have to forgive me for the next five or ten minutes because there's a a few scriptures here that link together that that, to me, are this fascinating thing about what Jesus is talking about. So... Follow closely. If you're a note taker, take, take copious notes. But if not, just put it away and just, let's just marvel at this. Matthew 24, 12 says, and because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. Because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. That's Matthew 24, 12. So his question for me was, does love and obedience work the same way? And I was like, hold on a second, what? I gotta wrap my head around this for a second. He asked, and we discussed this. We discussed this. Here's what we really, as a culture, think. Don't we really, really think, actually, that the cold hearted people are the lawless ones? Don't we think that people out there that are lawless are that way because they have a cold heart? Okay, that's kind of, I think, what we, we probably picture in our minds. They do those things because they're cold-hearted, but that's not what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying the cold-hearted, they're cold-hearted because they do those things. They are cold-hearted because they do those things. Okay, because they are lawless. Now, what that means for us, follow. Follow. You're like, what, you're losing me. Listen, lawlessness then Lawlessness is the source of coldness. That's where the coldness comes from, is lawlessness. So what is lawlessness? Really what lawlessness is, is a world without God's word. It's the world. So we could translate the world. When we're chasing after the world, that's where that coldness comes from. The coldness in our heart really is the fruit of chasing after the world. So, our attraction to culture, our attraction to the world leads to what Isaiah 6:10 says uh, is a dull heart. Matthew 13 says a dull heart. Matthew 24 says this is true. Because of lawlessness hearts will be cold. So here's what I see. You're like, what's your point? Here's what I see personally. If you have an attraction to the world, you're attracted to lawlessness, a world without God's guidance, ultimately. If you have an attraction to God, you're attracted to righteousness. That's what it boils down to. So we have to be careful if logically that's the sequence. The Bible says, be careful in Psalm 15:4. their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. What is what was just described? Anybody? Lifelessness, death, hands but can't feel, feet but can't walk. That's death. That is idol worship. And Jesus says, what the world is building leads to death. What I'm building leads to life. Proverbs 4.23 says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Other translations say, guard your heart. Deuteronomy 4.9, only give Heed to yourself and keep your soul diligently so that you do not forget the things which your eyes have seen and they do not depart from your heart all the days of your life, but make them known to your sons and grandsons. Let's read Isaiah 6, verses 8 through 13. It says, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull, and their ears heavy, and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Then I said, How long, O Lord? And he said, Until cities lie waste without inhabitant, and houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste. And the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again, like a terebinth or an oak, whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. Man, that is a dim picture. What was going on here in Israel in this time? It was a time of turmoil, there's attacks, there's wars. You have the prophet Isaiah telling the kings, listen, trust in the Lord. You need to trust in the Lord. Here is the word from the Lord. And no matter how many times Isaiah prophesies this to them, they make deals with neighboring countries, Assyrians, whoever it's going to be, and they are continually failing. Continually failing, continually failing. So later on, we get King Hezekiah who finally listens to the prophet Isaiah and they are successful, but then he has a moment of weakness and he does not listen to the prophet Isaiah. And long story short, they are overtaken and taken into captivity by Babylonia. So Isaiah is like, man. Here's the warning, here's the warning, here's the warning, here's the warning, here's the warning. Okay, okay, okay. Finally get it right, and then it's boom. Blow it. Man, warning, warning, warning. Okay, okay, I think we're on the right track. Blow it. Warning, judgment, warning, judgment, blow it. In the chapters from 1 through 39 in Isaiah, it's warning, judgment, warning, judgment, warning, judgment. 40 through 66, the end of the book. It's fascinating. Isaiah tells the people to have faith and patience. He describes the salvation and future blessings to come. Isaiah did not live during the Babylonian captivity. He was not with them, but he prophesied about it. He wrote about what was coming, and he gave the people hope with the words that he had from God for them. So although they were in captivity, and although they were struggling, and although they were in this bondage, they had the hope of God the words that Isaiah shared with them brought life in dire circumstances. Isn't this a picture of us though, really? Warning judgment, warning judgment. Oh, I got it. Oh, I didn't get it. Oh, I got it, I got it. No, I didn't get it. Two steps forward, one step back. Life feels like that for me sometimes. Oh, I got it, I got it. Oh, back. Man, maybe this isn't the right way to do it. Maybe what the world is doing is right. Right? hmm it looks right all those people look happy everything looks like it's going great maybe that's what i need and then boom death all that leads to death no life there's no freedom we know the truth we know the work on the cross was done to set us free to give us life so listen I know life can be hard. I think we all do. I think we see this. Selena and I met with a mom just a couple weeks ago. She's working like two jobs. She has um, kids in her own care. She's a single mom right now. She's bawling. She's like, I don't know what else to do. She's at a total loss. She's trying everything she can. She's just broken And we're like, well, what about this? Have you tried this? Yeah, I've tried that, tried that, tried that. I think what we hear and what we see a lot of times is, man, there's judgment, there's a whole wrecked world, people are messed up. I say it, I see it, the world is jacked up, I see it, it's a mess. But I personally don't believe that people intend to go out and do that. I can't buy that, I can't believe it. I think it's part of, the way the enemy has worked in it, in his plan for destruction. I don't think a dad sits in a, in a hospital, whether he's married or not, and holds a baby and says, man, how can I wreck this kid's life? I don't think that happens. I just don't. I don't think people plan to fail or blow up their marriages or their families. I don't think that's the intention of people. I don't think they get into relationships and say, man, I want to see how I can sabotage this whole thing. Let's get married and waste all this time and money and effort and energy just so we can blow the whole thing up and ruin our kids' lives 20 years from now. I don't believe that about people. I think we see this struggle played out in life that, man, I want to do better. I want that life. I keep blowing it. I'm like the people of Israel for some reason. For some reason, I keep looking over there at what's going on in the world and in culture. And I know it's killing me and I know it leads to death, but I keep looking back. I see really hardworking, well-intended parents. Sometimes when I'm out around town, I'm like, man, this person is a mom working this really, to me, kind of a boring job and it's early in the morning and it's late at night and they have kids at home. And gosh darn it, they're doing the best they can for those kids. And it's probably not gonna go well tonight because they're working late and the kids have homework and they're gonna be a struggle. Sometimes I look at people and I'm like, man, you're trying. You want the best. You really do. You need hope. You need some hope. I would love for us to be people that see that, a church that sees that, that looks at God's people and says, man, yeah, yeah busted up and broken and things aren't going well. And yeah, you've been kind of a jerk of a dad and you know, you're not doing that great. But you probably would love to see things turned around. You're probably not enjoying it the way it's going right now. I see kids honestly looking for acceptance, looking for community, looking for a place to belong. I see dads looking around unsure, honestly faking like they know what they're doing and gathering a bunch of big awesome trucks and toys and making a bunch of money and like, hey, this is just what we're supposed to do, but maybe missing out on different aspects of how they're really, really supposed to be pouring into their families, but they don't know. They're just doing the best they can. They're trying. They're looking at what the world's doing and say, yeah, I guess we got to do that. Let's do that. I see hardworking parents and people working crazy hours and crazy jobs and really what they're looking for is a savior in the world that's never going to come. What I see staring right back at them is culture with a hand out extended and a knife behind their back, really, saying, yeah, come on. I also see our Lord waiting patiently and desiring so bad for us to turn from the world Run to his arms, to find rest, to find water for our souls, to find purpose in our lives, to find real, pure, lasting joy, not fleeting, up and down happiness, but lasting, pure joy that can weather any storm. <clears throat> I think for me and a lot of people, sometimes life can kind of feel like Hezekiah. Yeah, we did it. Ah, no, we didn't. Captivity, enslaved again. Life kind of like a pendulum. Hits the sweet spot. Yeah. Ah, uh, out of balance again. Then, boop, Back here we go. Oh no, back here. If you're somebody here tonight who feels that, know that in your time of troubling, trouble in your time of wandering, in your drought and your thirst, you can call on the Lord You can use the same name that that Isaiah did. Isaiah called him the Lord of hosts. Simply translated, an army of angels, or the Lord Lord is all-powerful. An army of angels. God says, yes, there's coming judgment. I'm all-powerful, I'm all-knowing. I'm righteous, I'm a holy God, but at the same time, I can be all of those things and I can also be merciful, compassionate, and loving. That's our Father in heaven. All those things. A long-suffering Father. So listen, remember, in the parable of the sower, you are the soil, not the gardener. You're the soil. So what that means is, yeah, you want to get the rocks out, and you want to get the thorns and the weeds out, but you have to call on the gardener to do that. The soil doesn't move the rocks. The soil doesn't uproot the thorns. The soil calls on the gardener, Jesus, to come and remove those things. If you're somebody who needs that, don't leave tonight without talking with somebody. To, to Grab Justin, grab myself, grab one of the leaders, grab JP. Ask somebody for prayer before you leave. Jesus is the one who removes those obstacles. Now, I'd like to finish with this part. If you're not in that spot, I'm so glad. And hopefully you've been paying attention to our our scriptures here because there's a verse in this chapter that gets quoted a lot. In the mess of this broken world, just like it was broken then, God says... Isaiah says, he heard the voice of the Lord say, whom shall I send and whom will go for us? And Isaiah said, here I am, send me. Here I am, send me. Isaiah would literally be cut in half later on. Isaiah had a monumental task set before him. It was dark, dreary, gloomy circumstances. Isaiah said, here I am, send me. We need messengers in this world who are willing to take the message. This message here that God asked Isaiah to take, the world, trust me, the world feels crazy and dark and, and, and pretty scary. It was nothing compared to what Isaiah was up against. Nothing, nothing compared to it. And yet Isaiah said, here I am. Send me. We need you to spread seeds of hope, no matter what the soil is. It's a big church body we got here. We got people all over the place. Don't think because you see somebody come in every week or you see somebody that maybe looks a little bit older than you that they got it figured out. We're all over the map as a family. We all need each other. We all need seeds of hope. Like we talked about on Sunday, we need to hear the testimony of the saints. We need people to stop and say, hey, how's it going? How you doing? you doing? Let me hear your story. We need that as a church body. So, it may seem like a dark world. It may seem like people are crazy. They might be. I think we all are a little bit. God's church has always thrived in those situations. God's church has always thrived in the margins. He's looking to use his people, he's not afraid. We talked about it on Sunday. God said the gates of hell will not prevail. He says, he who has ears, let him hear. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. There are people that need to hear, that need some hope. I hope that we would be people that say, here I am, sent me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I... I pray that um, those here tonight that may feel a little bit like Israel, like Hezekiah, oh man, we got it figured out. No, we don't. Where there's this, for some reason, there's this pull, this attraction to culture and, and lawlessness that really ends up leading to this cold heart and just really, really stifles the walk and any kind of growth in you. And so I pray, Lord, I pray that they would overcome, Lord. I pray that Um, your people would be those that that bring hope. That would not stop planting seeds of hope, Lord. No matter what the soil looks like, Lord, we would continually be sharing the good news that we'd be looking for the brokenhearted. We thank you for your word, Lord. I pray that it would transform this body. I pray that it would transform Grant's Pass. It would transform this community, Lord. Use us, Father, we pray.